Welcome back to Venture Studio, the podcast where your host, Dave Lerner, entrepreneur, angel investor in 60-plus companies and director of entrepreneurship at Columbia University, interviews the angel investors and venture capitalists who make up New York City's entrepreneurial ecosystem. I'm your producer, Kevin Weeks. This week, Elliot Durbin, general partner at Bold Start Ventures, joins the show. Miss an episode, such as Dave's classic interview with Softech's founder, Jeff Clavier, that Elliot referenced during this week's show? Check out our entire archive at VentureStudio.org or on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or on TuneIn. Remember to subscribe on iTunes so you never have to worry about missing another episode. And follow us on Twitter at VentureStudio to keep up to date. In today's show, Elliot talks about Bold Start's investment themes for this year, the Googleization of IT, SaaS 2.0, and smart data. In addition, Elliot and Dave also discuss the rise of shadow IT at large enterprises, the market potential in B2B on demand, and how to tell the difference between a pretty big problem and a really big problem. And now, without further ado, let's head on up to the Venture Studio office with Dave Lerner and Elliot Durbin. You're in the office, baby. Elliot, it's great to have you on the show. How are you? Thanks for having me. Big fan of the show. You know, before we dive into your fund and the team, etc., I thought maybe we'd start by you telling us why you guys are so heavily invested in the enterprise. Why are you so bullish on the enterprise market in New York? Well, that's a good question. Um, I met my partner, Ed, in 2010. I'd been angel investing since 2006, so coming up on 10 years and Ed, Ed started his career about 10 years before that in 1996. And he had a thesis on seed investing, which was becoming prevalent with the micro VCs and the super angels uh, back in 2010 uh, with the capital efficiency uh, that it took. It cost a lot less money to get a company to market. And that was primarily happening in the consumer space. And Ed had a very strong conviction that the capital efficiency would then apply itself to enterprise. And we, we raised a million dollars in 2010 for our first fund. And we did what we like to call our beta test. Uh, we invested in um, 12 companies. And we've, we, we saw great success with the kind of, I think it was by 2012, four of them had been acquired by Salesforce and Google and Akamai and and we saw that capital efficiency play out uh, before our eyes. And it's it's about finding kind of the founder with the domain expertise, and I think there's a lot of that here in New York, um, uh, solving a very acute uh, problem uh, in the enterprise. So we're psyched about it, and I think it's it's highly dependent upon your network and your experience, as, as are most things. Um, but we, we've built a bold start with a purpose, and that's, and that's to be the best seed fund for enterprise companies. Right. Uh, I read a piece on TechCrunch recently. It says that we in New York have 52 of the 500 Fortune 500 companies. And uh, when you live in the ecosystem, 
sometimes uh, you don't take notice of what's going on around you. We're, 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 kind, we're kind of a heavyweight in this area, <laughs> the aren't fishbowl, we? The fishbowl, Dave, the fishbowl. <laughs> exactly, right. And you, you've said we're one of the largest uh, concentration of IT buyers in the world in some, in some of your writings. What's going on in New York, big picture in the enterprise? Well, I think you can see a lot of, of that exact point uh, in our, our early portfolio. So you had, um, in our current portfolio, but mm-hmm. the, the um, uh, divide is a great example of that. So Andrew Toy um, uh, and his co-founders were inside of Morgan Stanley, and they saw a lot of folks bringing their personal phones and devices to work, and were dealing with that problem on the front lines uh, inside of, of a company. And they left Morgan Stanley to start Enterproid, which we backed in the seed round. And, and they grew uh, the Bring Your Own Device solution, and which is now part of Google at Work. Um, so you see a lot of, of firsthand, intimate knowledge of a pain point inside of a, a company. And you see technical folks um, leaving those companies to build the solution that they, for one reason or another, can't build in-house. Um, I think another a great example of that is in our current portfolio security scorecard. Uh, Alex and Sam were uh, inside of the Guild Group, uh, and and they their expertise is cybersecurity. Uh, well, in protecting a lot of these companies from cybersecurity, they realized that there was a better solution they could make for for checking the third parties that connect into your stack. Um, and that's IT vendor security. So they left and they started Security Scorecard. They closed their Series A round with Sequoia. Uh, about actually a year ago, um, they started the discussions about today, year ago today. Right. Um, so it's an interesting evolution of the type of entrepreneur as well as the market would be how I would right. frame that. And, and when you guys started this fund, that was kind of a big bet that we were going to see the same phenomenon on the enterprise side as we did in the, on the consumer side, that it, you could do it on a lot less money. That, that was not an obvious thing, I'm thinking. Well, it wasn't to me, that's for yeah. sure. I, I think I would venture to say it was more obvious to Ed than it was to me. That's because you know it's 10 years versus 20. Um, the more experience you have, uh, I'm a big believer, it's kind of like golf. You, know, you get better at golf over time. Um, right. You just got to keep playing the game. Right. And, um, you know, I think uh, the capital efficiency has played itself out to the point where uh, there are a lot more enterprise seed uh, stage companies starting today than there were in 2010, obviously. But you, you guys are one of the few. Um, give us a sense of, of the evolution of your fund and, and the team, Ed Sim, et cetera, that you, you were just talking. You started, you said, as an angel group, and then you've done, you're on your what? third fund now, correct? Well, just to be just to be um, uh, intellectually honest, at least yeah. with myself, the the <laughs> fund one we treated just like a large fund. We we have always had uh, in mind the evolution of our our business into where it is. I think uh, going today, and that's uh, we don't want to do a rounds. We want to stick to seed. We want to stay nimble and quick and small, um, and and fund roughly thirty companies per fund. So fund one closed in two thousand ten. Uh, we had some great uh, companies in there, Go Instant, Reportive, um, Blaze.io, which got acquired by LinkedIn, Divide, as I mentioned. Um, and then Fund 2, we closed in 2013, and that was uh, roughly 16 million, 16.9, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we we then first closed our third fund this past July at twenty million dollars, mm-hmm. and um, it'll be another thirty companies. We're writing slightly larger checks. We're leading more rounds, which is nice. Um, first money in, oftentimes, right? Uh, our our work usually begins before the check. I've been noticing uh, mm-hmm. lately. We we love being the first phone call. Uh, when they're thinking about a business, when a founder is thinking about a business, I think that there's a, a different type of diligence that's done at the enterprise uh, in the enterprise space. Um, so you know, we're usually working with a founder before we write a check. So yes, that usually results in us being at least the first institutional investor, if not the first check. You you say diligence is a little different. Um... Let's dive down there for a second. What what is diligence in the enterprise setting in, involved? Give us a, a feel for that. Well, I think you know it, it starts with a pain point and a solution that's a product that's solving that pain point. Um, going back to Security Scorecard, great example. Uh, they had a problem assessing the IT uh, security posture of their vendors. So everything from CRM systems to ERP systems, things like that. And first step is validating, okay, is there a problem? Mm-hmm. And we, we did, in fact, validate that by having the folks we could call. Um, funny enough, this was founders within our portfolio that had done other things, uh, were very knowledgeable in the security space. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you call a buyer, back to your earlier point on yeah. IT buyers in New York, um, and they say, yeah, it's a huge problem for us. Can I get that entrepreneur's number? Because when they <laughs> build it, I, I'd love to, to buy that. Uh, I need it. Um, it. It's not only diligence. It's it's also how we work. I right? I think, I think there's a lot of – if you prove out uh, a solution with three customers that are championing your product, um, that's a strong start for an enterprise company. Whereas you know, in consumer, there's – there's um, you know behavioral issues, and I think there's some of that in enterprise, but less so. Um, you can really nail uh, a value proposition and prove it out with three to four uh, enterprise customers. So diligence starts with with the customer. Right. Obviously, it starts with the founder. Can they build it? Can they execute on it? Um, and then validating the problem. And and what are the tells between it's a pretty big problem versus it's a really big problem. That's a, so we, we call it uh, we call it must have or nice to have, okay. right? And I think I think that the you can glean a lot of insight from obviously the buyers, but then you can look at the market size. We're all about market size, and if if we make a bet, we like it to have at least the potential to return the whole fund. Uh, we're very aware of how venture returns kind of play out, and it's usually a few of the companies that you invest in return uh, the majority of the, the portfolio. And um, I think if it's a must-have, there's usually a high price. There's usually an urgency. And those are all things that you learn to pick up uh, with, with the years in the business. Do you, do you have any scars on your back from times you've backed companies that were nice-to-have? Oh, yeah. You do? Okay. Oh, yeah. And, and usually it's um, they're growing really fast and, and there's a lot of heat on the deal. And you you say to yourself, OK, if if this proves out true, how big is it? And sometimes you just you answer that question wrong. But, you know, our job 
I like to think is to take educated risk. So you're always going to have a little bit of that going on. But yes, I definitely have scars on my back. <laughs> okay. No doubt. Right. So, so if, if I'm listening to the show and I'm working in, in, the, in, in the enterprise. Uh, if you're an IT guy, I want to talk to you. Right. Because I'm seeing a lot of problems firsthand and you, you want to know about it and talk to me to kind of refine my lens as, I, as I'm in there. Yes. If you're thinking about a solution to a big problem that you have and you're, you're considering leaving your job to start that company, we want to talk to you. We want to just kind of brainstorm it and volley it back and forth and see if we can be helpful. I got it. And coming back to something you said before, the company Divide, Yes. the first name of that was Entreproid. Is that right? Entreproid, yes. It, it okay. stood for Enterprise Android. And one of the big bets, interesting point on this, that, that we actually thought about uh, for about six seconds, but I think others thought about it a little bit longer, was will Android become a dominant force in the mobile market? That was a question in 2010. Hmm. I mean, it's not really, it's kind of a no-brainer right now. Um, so I think there's, there's a, a number of things that can be uh, investigated when you're looking at these companies. You guys have put out uh, a pretty extraordinary outlook for 2016. I want to dive into it. Okay. Um, it's, uh, the link is boldstart.vc slash outlook slash 2016. And you describe three major themes and a lot of th- sub-themes as well. But maybe you could take us through uh, the three big themes you're talking about in 2016. I see smart data, not big data, by the way, smart data, Googleization of IT, and SaaS 2.0 in any order you wish. Take us a little through that. Sure. Um, so being thematic investors, we're looking for things under a certain heading and the first being kind of the smart data, uh, have the benefit of, of my partner Ed's experience with big data. He was a original investor in, in green plum, which created a lot of the, the data warehousing infrastructure, uh, and lowered the cost of storing data. Um, and now we have a ton of data. There, there's, a, there's a ton out there, and we need to figure out what we're going to do with it all, how we're going to process it, how we're going to glean insights from it. And I think th- there's a lot of companies out there that are building tools and algorithms and, and smart applications that are either predicting things or being uh, or synthesizing large quantities of data to give you insight, actionable insight. So examples in our portfolio, uh, Y Hat is a great example of this. They're building like an AWS for data science. And these are guys that came from inside on deck capital, were trying to operationalize their predictive models that they built in things like R and Python. And they would bring it to the engineering team, and there was friction getting it integrated with the software. So they created their first uh, you know, MVP uh, that was a, a REST API that allows you to operationalize your predictive model right into software. So that's a way you, know, you can think about smart data. Um, I think that, that, uh, the Googleization of it is uh, a pretty broad, uh, stroke when you look at all the it buyers in, in the city, but if you boil it down, it's simply having the same type of scalable infrastructure, having the ability to, um, uh, pick an app, use an app, and then kind of deploy it across an organization really quickly 
at scale at a very low cost. So a great example of this would be like um, uh, we have a company called Replicated, and we led their seed round. These are guys that were inside of Live Person, and I've known these founders a long time. And uh, they noticed that, that um, large customers were getting turned away because they wanted the, the software solution behind their own firewall. So call it GE comes to you and says, Dave, I, I love your software. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to let my data go into the cloud. Hmm. And um, I'd like, it, I'd like a, a version of your software replicated behind my firewall so I can use it and control it and, and uh, have it secure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a classic question right. that we saw, that we have been seeing across the portfolio. Do I replicate my code base? Do I build an installer? Do I go through all the pain and agony of building an on-premise version of my SaaS software for this, for this huge company? Right. And which is which is a huge a huge investment of your your burn your staff your effort. It's a right? it's a team wide uh, decision, right? And I think it's it affects development cycles throughout the company. And um, we've seen several of our companies go through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and what Replicated did was they noticed that that Docker was getting adopted and, and container technologies were were getting pulled into the enterprise. Uh, and, and Docker basically makes an application portable. I see. So with that uh, underlying framework, these guys created a way to deploy SaaS software behind the firewall uh, in about six to ten minutes. Wow. Which is an order of magnitude uh, improvement. And that's really what we look for. And then you say, okay, how big's the market? It's huge. Um, and... What's even more interesting is that the way that it's, it's playing out and the way these guys are focusing their go-to-market is by getting it in the hands of the best uh, technical companies. Mm-hmm. So if you go to their website, it's uh, Travis CI, Circle, um, Code Climate. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're using Replicated to offer customers an enterprise version of the software. That's really exciting. And how old is this company, by the way? They started. They're about a year old. And uh, and you yeah. guys were in early. I, I was waiting uh, outside of their <laughs> their uh, vesting uh, last exit, uh, and I I was holding a term. She was kind of like getting out of jail, you know? Right, You're right. Kind of sitting there picking right. somebody up from jail, saying, "Ready right. to go again?" You got a yeah. latte. Classic know, Ocean's Eleven enter- moment. Right. Yeah, I love it. Fantastic. Um, you know, nice. and I, I think we, yeah, that, that's how early I, I love uh, the, the, the longer term founders who are on their second, third companies. Not to say I wouldn't back a first time founder. I love first time founders, but there's something special when, it, when you get to back a founder a second time or a third time. And, and the, the greatest thing about kind of day to day these days in fund three is that we've got a ton of those happening relationships we've had from previous funds or even old start one are coming back and saying, okay, now I have a really big idea. I love it. The network just deepens and yeah, it's, it's this sense of the rise of the developer uh, that you talk about in this uh, outlook for 2016. What do you mean by that? There's a, a strong uh, pull uh, from engineers that sit inside large companies, even even not large companies, middle market companies, 
and it's shadow IT. And if shadow IT is new to you, uh, for the folks listening, it's I, I want to use Slack. My organization doesn't have Slack. Mm-hmm. So I download it uh, and get a, a team running on my personal credit card. But I don't tell the IT department. So there's entire companies that, that have been formed to address shadow IT and, and figure out what folks are using. Um, but I think that what that shows is that the, the IT department and the engineering teams have more discretion and more influence over the budget than they ever did before. And what I'm seeing play out with our companies that are marketing to developers and, and to developers inside large companies uh, is that their first stop is the end user. Their first stop is not, say, it could be the CEO. Mm-hmm. But in more cases, it's the CTO. You know, you call it shadow IT. Uh, the term guerrilla style occurs to me. Does this actually, do you see companies actually getting, you know, traction via this technique? Yes. And I think it starts, if we look, if we look in the past um, uh, iterations of this, you see Salesforce that, that got used by sales teams, and then, then the bottom-up sale started to come into play. And I think it's simply the same um, kind of topology applied to a technical uh, vertical within these companies. So the same way Salesforce was getting adopted by sales teams 10 years ago, you're seeing GitHub and, and these other companies going into the, the company's uh, stack themselves and, and be leveraged by the uh, engineers. And it's at their discretion. And this is just a, f- a phenomenon you're observing with developers have more and more say, more and more influence within these large companies because... You know, well, software is eating the world, right? I mean, if you're, if you're Procter & Gamble, if you're Johnson & Johnson, you are developing software. If you're a big bank, you're developing software. Almost every company that's, that's publicly traded, I think, has to develop software in some way, shape, or form. Uh, otherwise, you're going to get displaced. And by the companies that are developing uh, applications that make them work better, faster, cheaper. And the, the folks that are driving that acceleration and that efficiency uh, in the enterprise are, are the engineers, in, in part, obviously. So they, they are getting a lot more influence over, okay, well, if you want to accelerate, uh, what tools do you want to use? And, and I think along the way, you have a lot of considerations like, is it secure? Can we control it? Um, is it safe? Is it stable? Imagine if GitHub had not built their enterprise on-prem version. What would people be building software on? I'm sure there would be something, but the fact that that is now in the enterprise means that Folks want to release faster. The continuous development, I think, is a huge, huge trend out there. Uh, the move, So tech companies release one to 200 times a day in some cases. And then you have a, a team that may be releasing once a week mm-hmm. or once a month. That's a disadvantage. So a lot of the tools that we're looking at now are, uh, whether it's security uh, there are security tools being built for developers these days as opposed to being built for the security department because the security department would say, okay, halt production. Let's, let's double check for, for any malware vulnerabilities because that they can now be injected into the production stage. 
but that slows the developers down. So there's a um, uh, a struggle between the two. Secure, move faster. And and it's a tension that. Uh, Good word. Yeah, within that tension, I guess you're seeing a lot of situations where uh, the influence of the developers uh, is is somewhat unstoppable after a while because the demands of the market are so great for that speed and agility that they just start using the stuff almost without permission sometimes. Yes. In some cases. Yes. <laughs> In other cases, I think there's usually a phone call that says, hi, we'd like to get an enterprise contract, please. There's some great stories out there on the web. I won't, I won't quote them here, but they're you know, the first time you get the enterprise customer there, they call you up out of the blue and they say, we found your software. It works perfectly for this thing we're doing. And we'd like to either get an on-prem version in some cases, or we'd like an enterprise contract with special pricing, or we'd like, in most cases, this special feature. Can you add this? So they ask you to customize it. So that's another consideration. Uh, you know, if you have this huge Fortune 500 company that says, if you add this, we'll buy it. It's a big temptation for a founder. But the question is, is it the right uh, step for their product and their vision? What, what factors do you guys consider when, when you're, you're in a room with the founders, you're on the board or what have you? How do you? Well, first question I have is how much are they going to pay you for that? <laughs> okay. And that, right. that, that goes back to the pain point and all that. Um, and then I, it's different in every scenario. Yeah. I, think, um, I think the first question would be would other customers that you currently have, if it's their first customer, it's a, a long conversation. If it's their second, third, fourth, fifth customer, then you say, well, would your other customers benefit from it? I see. Nothing better than releasing something for one customer and just having it pop into the other customer's uh, uh, functionality, and then they love it. But sometimes if it's your first customer... Uh, you make you, mistakes. You make it, you, but you gotta, sometimes you just have there to make There are bad first customers out there. Mm, I see. Sometimes it's not the right first customer... And you need to think very deeply about, is this the, the partner that I want to help me build my product? Because that's a lot of enterprise uh, kind of software is built interacting very intimately with a customer. The communication dynamic, I find, is slightly different than, than consumer. You know, I'm, I'm scanning this outlook you put together. You hit on a lot of other themes here. Time to value ratio, killer UI and design. A lot that's going to happen in the browser, especially Chrome. We're really excited about that. I think we have a, a company uh, in the current portfolio that was founded by a repeat founder. His first company was Reportive. I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to disclose about this, so I'm going to be careful. But he's he's rebuilding uh, email, uh, the email interface for for business and, and kind of power users and it, I'm, I'm an alpha tester on it now and it's um it's faster than most native apps that i have on my computer and that's a lot of the new technologies he's using within chrome we know some folks on the chrome team and they they're pushing the limits of what chrome can do with a lot of the new uh kind of functionalities that chrome has in it now and we're seeing that applied across the companies building uh, interfaces. They're building it in the browser, 
and they're building it. Uh, it's really fast. It's exciting. Other other topics, obviously, security massive. You've touched on you know virtual reality as uh, as an enabling tool. Yes, virtual reality. We we made a bet um, uh, on a company in Venice Beach that's building. They were one of the first Oculus development partners, and they uh, didn't have. Uh, any infrastructure or any kind of uh, software stack to build on. So they had to build a player and they had to build um, kind of the on the metal stuff uh, from a software perspective that is running uh, and, and performing better than, than the others on the market. So they actually are, what we're seeing in VR is the whole stack being built. And I think it, it's correlated in a lot of ways with the evolution of online video. So if you think about sharing a video in 2004 before, say, Flash, it was really difficult. And what we think they're building is the same type of enabling technologies um, that Flash was to video. So you see VR as emerging in 2016. What, when do you think it'll be realistically, uh, you know, <laughs> Good question, part, part, part of the workflow of a lot of these enterprise companies? I mean, what, what's realistic here? Three, four years? I think we're starting to see that now with a lot of the, the Google Glass evolutions. I think it's it's tough to say three or four years. I think that, that the consumer market, you see the devices coming online now. Um, Samsung, HTC, um, uh, Google. And the enterprise, I think, will adopt it shortly thereafter, if not at the same time. Because there's a lot of money uh, in the enterprise as well that I think is chasing VR. You mentioned you're, you backed a Venice Beach company. You you you're you're here in New York, but you're involved in you know backing some some entrepreneurs from the West Coast as well. Why is that? Relationships mostly. I think you know we're we're very focused on New York. I'm, I you know, went to high school here. Ed's Ed's been here. Um, we love New York. Uh, sometimes either founders move out west or we just have known them forever and they start companies and we're the first phone call so yeah. in the case of of weaver uh excuse me the venice beach vr company um along with replicated along with um uh, the email company superhuman um they're they are old relationships and the, and they they also they see value in you and they also see value that by virtue of the fact that you're here in the city you know you're right in the middle of it all i'm guessing a lot of companies out west were in a were invested in a company called front mm-hmm. it's an exciting email application that allows you to kind of create a multiplayer gmail uh, inbox for all the inbound um uh, communications into your company via twitter uh, sms facebook and they wanted a New York um, uh, investor in the syndicate. So um, they called up uh, my partner, Ed, and uh, Jeff Clavier at SoftTech led that round. I saw he was on your show. Yes. Um, that's growing really fast. But when there's um, when there's a question on a New York customer or when there's kind of the need for an enterprise home base uh, in New York City, that's how we fit. Uh, one other thing you put in there is the explosion of the on-demand workforce. Um was this was this written um, right at the end of the year, like when you know the venture community got a little sour on on demand stuff, or, or are you bullish on it nonetheless? I'm bullish on it because I'm watching one of our current companies, and I'm gonna uh, founder may get really upset with me. Uh, the 
I'm watching a company. This is a founder who I've known uh, for probably about 10 years. And he was a CPG uh, entrepreneur. So he, he built uh, consumer product companies that are sold in grocery stores. And he says to me, Elliot, do you know who stocks the shelves at Safeway? I said, no. He said, well, there's large companies that do it. I won't give up too much of the details. I don't, I don't want to steal his thunder. Right. But what I'm watching play out is on-demand applying itself to B2B. And he has created a way to uh, do CPG merchandising uh, at, a, at an order of magnitude more efficient level. And it's growing really fast. And this so that was through on-demand that, workforce. Is that what you're oh, saying? Yes. And it's... It's a, it's a qualified on-demand workforce. It's skilled labor. And, you're and it's, creden- you're, it, you're, it's credentialed, you said. It's credentialed. That's the big difference. You, you couldn't do this particular business with non-credentialed kind of open labor uh, supply. You need a very specific person. But when you find the domain experts that, that have those networks and have the knowledge on how to bring that kind of product to market, it's a really powerful thing. And I think, so back to your question, that was written watching this uh, company stand itself up uh, over the last six weeks has been extremely exciting. The numbers are very healthy. And you're extrapolating that across the industry, that there will be players like this one that can curate entire on-demand workforces for the enterprise. They can solve a big pain point for, for companies uh, with a high degree of, of skill. And, you're, and, and they and you are not cowed by this whole 1099 W-2 thing that we saw out in California with Uber, et cetera? Uh, I rarely if – if it's a huge market opportunity and the pain point is enough to get companies to switch from the incumbent, that's enough for me. I think the regulation and everything else will follow, but I don't want to get myself in trouble by no. saying ask for forgiveness, <laughs> not permission. But, you know, I, I, if, I, if I looked at regulators, I mean, I think regulation is important to consider, but I think that, that it always trails innovation mm-hmm. in a way. And I think, you know, I would defer to Jeff Leventhal, our new venture partner on this. He's got a lot more experience uh, with on-demand workforces. He started a work market, and uh, he's, he's been an incredible asset that we brought on uh, in the last – uh, year and Jeff's knowledge of the on-demand workforce is great. And I think if we look at the company we were mentioning earlier, the numbers speak for themselves. So I think from a bottom-up perspective, the B2B on-demand on workforce is just getting started. Wow. You heard that here, folks. All right. So the enterprise, they spent a trillion dollars building out the IT infrastructure in-house. They're moving it to the cloud. Security is a big deal. Uh, the Googleization of IT, the need to be quick, r- uh, rapidly deploying apps, SaaS 2.0, smart data, all that is happening. We've got an enormous amount of talent. You're seeing second-generation entrepreneurs stepping back into the game that you're backing. What are the? What would you say are the, the challenges still that we have here in, in New York? Well, I think we need to, to have a couple billion-dollar enterprise IPOs from New York companies. Uh, I think... You know, you talk to folks that have been doing enterprise software investing for for 30 years, and they always say, well, what's the last billion-dollar IPO you had? And I think that the more answers we have for that here in New York, the, the farther the eco- ecosystem will go, because folks will then leave those companies and start new companies. So 
um, we're, we're working hard on that aspect. Um, I think that finding a great marketing person at, at kind of the A round stage of an enterprise company, someone who can synthesize the value proposition of a, of a product for a large IT buyer is another kind of talent uh, hole in the market. And I think you know, working ho- extra hard on that type of recruiting for our companies uh, versus others. By the way, quick interruption. What's, what's a good background for someone who would do a job like that? Good question. I think, <laughs> you know, coming, there's some great folks coming out of IBM. Uh, IBM does a great job marketing. Um, I think any other tech company uh, or, or technical product that was being sold, if you, can, if you can talk to engineers, if you can talk to integration teams, if you can speak to how it works on-prem versus not, how, how, what trade publications you need to get into, there's a specialty about it. And I think that's why it's so difficult. What would you say some of the bigger enterprise stories have been? I mean, we haven't had billion-dollar IPOs, but over the last four or five years, what are the big uh, stories in terms of companies? We got Mongo. Mongo is very large. Well, I think we're just getting started with it. Mm-hmm. I think you know, if you look at the public markets, uh, I think Datadog just raised a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at the public markets, it goes all the way back to Live Person. Live Person's a, I think it's half a billion dollar market cap, maybe a little bit more than that. I'm probably undercutting them. I apologize right. if I am. Uh, they're a publicly traded company, and we just need to get more of them. It's less so. Uh, reaching a billion dollars is just more large uh, enterprise tech companies located in New York versus uh, elsewhere, i.e. out west. Look, this stuff is fascinating, and I thank you for uh, sharing all these insights with us today. Uh, Thanks for the great questions. Yeah, we'll have you back later later in the year to update us. Just want to thank you, Elliot. Dave, thanks to you. Uh, really appreciate you having me on, and, and I love your show. It's a great part of the ecosystem. Thank you, my friend. Be well. Show you around, give you a taste of business, you know?